I think that it's all about repetition, correction, and repeat. And when you make your correction, you got to be able to do it 15, 20 seconds tops, maybe 30, and then move on to the next thing. Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by the founder of Hoop Consultants, Mike Procopio. From 2013 through 2019, Coach Procopio served as the Director of Player Development for the Dallas Mavericks. Prior to that, he served as Kobe Bryant's Strategic Game Management Coach from 2009 through 2012. His job was to give Kobe detailed scouting reports and video breakdowns. Hoop Consultants is a global basketball consulting company servicing players, coaches, and scouts at all levels from NBA to high school and everything in between. To learn more, check out hoopconsultants.com. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoti Podcast. Hey, Matt. What's up, Coach? Not much, man. You doing hey. all right? Oh, I'm, I'm living the dream. How about you? Ah, oh, same old, same here, man. Yeah. Same here. Well, yeah. man, I, I just first want to thank you, to say thank you so much for jumping on with me and talking some hoops. This is this is an honor for me. Uh, I don't know how much of an honor. I've seen your client list of people that's been on this uh, <laughs> podcast. I'm very low on that list, but I appreciate well, you. Anytime I, you could chop it up, it'd be cool. Yeah, I, I, I'll say this. I, you're, you're being too humble because I, not only just your experiences and, and, and who you've coached, who you've been around and what you do, but I, I was able to sit with you and, and a couple other guys uh, probably about a year ago at this time, or may, I don't know, maybe less. And, just listen to you talk about uh, skill work, your approach to the game. And I just, I, I was really impressed just sitting there listening to you. So I know we'll hit it a little bit at the end, but hoopconsultants.com. And sure. just, so tell me a little bit about what's going on with that. Yeah, Hoop Consultants, Matt, was something that um, I, I thought about when I was working for the main Red Claws in the D-League. Um, at the time, it was like 2010, I was working for Kobe, working for Tim Grover, and I was working in, in Portland, Maine for the winter uh, for, the, for the first year of the D-League team in, in Portland, Maine. And I thought to myself, like, how can I sort of start a company that sort of talk to players and coaches about player development, about, you know, things, um, how to work out better, how to work out more efficiently. Uh, some film breakdowns, how to structure things, you know, coaches that have particular issues with players in certain aspects of player development. And I'm like, all right, at the time, I'm like, all right, maybe I'll do something where I'll put all this content together and send it out on a monthly basis, or people could pay me to, you know, sort of structure a workout for them in a particular position or particular multiple positions and group workouts, things like that. And I, I started the website right after Kobe won the championship in 2010 uh, against Boston. And I've had it for 12 years and it's sort of elevated and, and sort of morphed into like webinars before the pandemic hmm. and then the pandemic hit. Now everybody's does them. And so I'm like, all right, now I got to pivot to do some other things. But now what it's pivoted into Matt, which is one of the funnest things I've done in my career 
is film breakdowns of players. So players who, from high school to to the NBA and everything in between, they'll send me game film. And what I what I'm trying to do is, you know, you know how I'm I'm sure you deal with it now. You have all the mixtape stuff with players, and it's yeah. sort of ridiculous. But <laughs> what this does is, you'll send me like your huddle film. I'll download the download link. I'll I'll download the film. And I'll take every possession of players involved with offensively and defensively on the ball and de off the ball. And what I'll do is I'll clear out all the audio and I'll record my screen, go through clip by clip and stop, rewind, slow-mo and add audio coaching to a player. So giving them um, their own sort of personal film breakdown and film session. And what it has been doing at a hundred percent rate as is, it improves shot selection. It improves their off-the-ball reads on cutting, you know, reading their defender and, and, and knowing when and where to cut into space. And But most importantly, I think it does on the defensive side, Matt, which no one really wants to talk about or develop because it's not that fun, like hand positioning on limit, you know, decreasing reaching fouls in the perimeter. De you know that like you're never going to decrease I think fouls at the rim like because if somebody's got to stop somebody from scoring they got to wrap them up that's one thing but as far as hand positioning showing hands you know Kawhi Leonard told Drew Hanlon and I've always remembered the story where Kawhi was big on showing the offensive player his palms at all times in a defensive possession so he knows that he's got to have his hands up I think one of the biggest problems with defense and reaching fouls is players have their hands at their sides at all times. They think it's just a foot race where their hands being up. It's not about getting steals, but it's about disrupting, you know, <clears throat> vision and rhythm of the offensive player. So what the, what the program does is it just sort of makes the player more efficient, calls out the good things that they do and sort of, you know, continues to tell them to do the good things, but also just trying to close the gap on some of the things that they really need help on. And it's been fantastic. It's great for me uh, because it's just a different thing. Look, it's, you know, there's, a, there's 8 million trainers. When I walk out the door, I trip over them like homeless people on Venice Beach. So I can't get, like, we had that conversation when we went out for Mexican food, you know, last year. Like, I've got a pretty good resume, and it's really hard for me to even get players to show up at a gym for free. And it's okay. It, it is what it is. But the reason is there's so many of them. And yeah. I'm talking about, like, I want to work out with JV players or varsity players. I don't need the college guys or whatever. And I still struggle getting that. So I had to pivot to do something else, not only financially, but also just, like, something different. Because everyone's doing the same thing. It's like lemmings off a cliff. Everybody trains the same way. Everybody works in the same stuff. And I, I never I never sort of badmouth what players are doing or, or trainers are doing or coaches are doing. But it's just for me, I want to do something a little bit different, you know? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I, I appreciated your honesty when we met for, for Mexican food. And I know that uh, you were already kind of working with one of my really good friends, Cole Johnson at Legacy Christian. And, and, and a big part of it was just, you know, the fact that I'm over in Grapevine and, and making that all work and stuff. But I, I saw the value automatically in, in just your resume for one, but then also your why behind why you want to train kids it's not for uh, so many guys i feel like are trying to if i can train the biggest best name out there 
that could catapult me personally to <clears throat> another level or to get more views on Inst on, on, on YouTube. Sure. But then I didn't even know about the pivot that you made about breaking down film. Cause that's, in, that's one, it's really smart, but it's, it's also incredibly valuable for players, but for coaches, because we do film breakdown in season, but it is, we're zoomed out. We may have only be able to zoom in two or three times to a specific player within a team setting, but then how many opportunities do we miss to help individuals get better because we're looking like this, where you get well, to come in and zoom in well, on them. Well, Matt, you've got 12, 15, 18, 35, if you go with all your players, players to zoom in on. And, and it's hard sometimes. And two things to that. First of all, like when I talk to players on the film, especially on the defensive side, because everybody sort of has different defensive principles on their team. What I always open up every clip with is look, if this goes against what you guys do defensively, then don't then then don't worry about what I'm saying right now. But if your coach is, doesn't care about, say, on perimeter defense, forcing baseline versus middle, if they're if they're neutral to it, then yeah, you might want to listen to me. If they say no, I want to funnel in middle of baseline, then you go with what you do. That's the first thing and the second thing is a lot of times head coaches will reach out to me and go Mike and I'm mad I'm sure you deal with the same thing they're tired of hearing my voice and I need somebody that's not affiliated with my program talking to them about you know about what you're seeing because most of the time I'd say nine out of ten times what I'm saying is what the coach is going to say but they get to hire a different entity that's saying look this is an unbiased viewer here this isn't somebody who's on my staff telling you the same thing that I'm telling you. Go hire him or I'll hire him for you and break down your film. And that's a that's a big thing. But I think also, just like the same thing why Kobe wanted me instead of just the coaches and video of the Lakers when he played for him, is because, like, they got all these other players they got to deal with. And they're a little intimidated with dealing with Kobe so me, he knew I'd tell him the truth. And second, I'm only, I'm only sort of fixated on him. So I think that that's why the film works because a, I'm only fixated on one player, and then I'm also uh, unbiased view of things. Sometimes I'll go a little different from what the coach is saying, but very rarely. And I think it's a good thing. I, I don't know. It's it's been first and foremost, it's been fun and it's been re rewarding to the players. And most of the players that hire me hire me back because of the fact that they're a different type of player. You know, they're different. They don't want to be told the same thing over and over. That's really hard to find. It's really hard to find, you know. But players, some players today and some parents today actually want to be told the truth. There aren't many of them, but you just got to keep finding them. Yeah, you're right. They, they are out there. And we ask our players all the time, do you want truth or do you want harmony? Harmony is everybody's great and everything you're doing yeah. is fine. And we're going to keep getting better moving forward. Or do, you, or do you want the truth? And I think truth tellers like you out there in the game are really important. I love the fact that you're connecting with the high school. And that was one thing I appreciated about our conversation last year was how you're connecting with the high school coaches. Um, mm -hmm. Because there has seemed to be, there seemed to be a disconnect. You, you got your high school coach and what he's trying to teach you and do. And then you got skilled coaches over here that 
and they're at war with each other, but you seem to be able to bring those two together. Uh, is there an opportunity with your film study that you're doing for, hey, I'm going to be working with Johnny on your team. What are some, uh, a conversation that you can have with your coach to maybe bridge the gap of here's what we believe and why, and even help your, your breakdown even more? I always want to get the high school coaches, I always want to get their opinion on where they see the player. I don't want to, I don't want to put any bias into my film breakdown where I'm saying, coach, I'm just going to echo what you say, because then again, like I've met the good and the bad about my career is I've always been loyal to the cause, right? But I always tell any head coach that I work for, you know, because development's a little different than, you know, from what the head coach is doing, is, look, I've got, you tell me how you want it done, but I have to do it my own way. You tell me exactly what you need developed and worked on in each player, and I'll do that. But I have to be able to do it my own unbiased way where, like, because I can't just carbon copy exactly what you're saying to the player all the time because sometimes the player, sometimes, like, the player and coach, they're, they, they're a little off on, on what they're trying to accomplish. And I'm like, coach, okay, let me know what you, your thoughts are on the player. So I have a little bit of intel going into the film. And then with the film, I'm just going to, I'm going to give my opinion, which again, mostly is, is going to be what the coach wants. But like, I'll tell the coach, look, I'm doing this film breakdown. I'd like your opinion without question. I like your feedback, but for me to do my job correctly, because I think in five years, Matt, there's going to be a hundred more people doing what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. right now, it's sort of like what the training business was 22 years ago. Like yeah. you, you knew it was coming, but it just didn't, it wasn't happening yet. So if I'm doing it and I'm and the player knows that I'm skewed to the coach all the time, then why would they hire me? They want to hire me because they get unbiased opinion. But it's so important to bridge that player coach. And that's what de good development people are. They're good firefighters and they can put out a lot of fires. They they work with the player and the player knows they're loyal to them. They also know that 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 I'm loyal, that the player development person is loyal to the whole cause, but they they could be a sounding board to the player. And they're not just gonna carbon copy everything the coach wants. They're gonna want to do what the coach wants and needs. But sometimes you got to do it a little bit differently and come from a different angle because if they're hearing it from the – because you know the head coach, you know the head assistant, and you know maybe even the second or third assistant are always going to echo a thousand percent what the coach says. And I think that that's important, no no doubt about it. You got to be you got to be online. But sometimes, like if the coach is like going nuts on a player and they they cross the line, sometimes the assistant coaches are like, "Well, you deserved it." What I would say is. Yeah, the coach is a little out of line of how he approached it, but this is what he was trying to tell you, and this is why he was trying to tell you that. And I think that that's important because now the player, if the player is going to think that you're just going to co-sign everything the coach does, right or wrong, then they're not going to really trust You're just like everybody else. If you're trying to convey the same message, but you call it out in the fact that, yeah, I don't really agree with how he did it, but this is what he was trying to say. I think that they tend to respect you and trust you. And again, I think trust is very important in this thing. I think you're, I think you're right on the money with your approach for how you're doing that and how you, you know, uh, the conversation with the high school coach is important, but 
your ability to give them, like you said, a, an unbiased angle towards it. Uh, and the, like you, I mean, the majority of us are going to, on the major things, are probably going to align pretty close. But then the little details that we can't always get to or sometimes we miss as high school coaches or don't pay attention to, I just see great value in where you can come in on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like where where I differ from high school coaches and, and head coaches in general, a lot of times, like most head coaches, not all, but like they coach result. So a player will take a one-legged fadeaway with two, two, with two defenders on it and he'd make the shot. And like, Johnny, that was a great shot. And then he'd take the same shot two possessions later and miss the shot. That's the worst shot I've ever seen. Same exact shot. And I'm always like, coach or player, look, I'm not going to tell you that every good shot, every shot that you make is a good shot and every shot that you miss is a bad shot. We're going to evaluate every shot differently, you know, like depending on the situation, depending on how many defenders are on you, contested versus non-contested how many seconds are left in the shot or game clock or both and where we can get better with that. Not, Hey, you got it in Johnny. That's the best shot. And then you wait until you miss and then every shot's awful. That's where head coaches and I sometimes, you know, differ. And that, that's the problem. Yeah. I think, I think coaches are, we are guilty of resulting hardcore. Sure. Uh, even after and, and wins and losses, before after wins yeah. and losses, yeah, yeah, in every win, there are bad things that happen that we can improve. And in every loss, there are good things that happen that we can improve. How do you break? Because I, I feel like shot selections, it's one of the things that I focus on the most with my players. Shot selects, we have a scale yeah. and because we have to speak on the same. We have to all be on the same page with shot selection or else if I say, hey, only take good shots right now. Well, I've got five players that believe that their good shot is something different. So we have to yeah. talk clearly. How do you discuss shot selection with players without breaking them apart? Because shot selection is yep. personal, building them up, but being honest. So what I'd like to do, and the same thing approach that I have with Kobe is, look, and, and again, I know it's different from you guys because you guys still don't have a shot clock, correct? Sadly, no. Yeah. Sadly, no. Yep. Um, so with Kobe – you know, when I when I broke down game after game after game before I before I officially started working for him, I would I would tell him, look, from 18 to 8 is where we're gonna do a lot of your damage. We're gonna do a lot of your cleanup. From eight, from seven to one, or or deep in a possession, yeah, the player always has to use their gut. And most of those shots are gonna be tough to, you know, contested to tough shots because you know, when you're bearing down on a possession, it, it tends to be a tougher shot. From 18 to 8, what I wanted Kobe to do is try to take at least 55 to 60% uncontested or marginally contested shots. So if you didn't have a shot clock, there would probably be the first two or three passes in a possession. If you're going to get a shot, unless a coach is calling a particular play just to get it to the best player and understand they're going to take a tough shot, what I say is, look, you've got to hunt uncontested to marginally contested shot. Marginally contested would be, yeah, hand is up, but, it but was there's late. like two there's yeah. like yeah, it was late and it's like two feet. Yeah. But if you got if you're dribbling and dribbling and backing a guy down, backing a guy down, and you're taking a turnaround or a fadeaway jump shot, that's a that's a deeply contested shot that unless it's like the last second shot or 
last, you know, one on the shot clock. I don't want to see a lot of those possessions early in a shot clock. Say, look, we're trying to get all, like, the two philosophies got to be in line. You want to try to take as many uncontested to marginally contested shots as possible in your possessions. And then on the flip side, defensively, you're trying to force your opponent into as many contested shots as possible and, and hand up no fouling and defending without fouling. So to me, with the player, first of all, every player role-wise knows what types of shots they're going to take as far as what regions in the court. That's one. The second second thing is, look, I want you to try to take uh, at least half of your shots marginally to uncontested shots. That's what we're trying to. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. Especially if you don't have a shot clock, you can work it in. Now that doesn't always work because sometimes you face really good defensive teams. But if a player is taking a steady diet of tough contested shots, they're not going to be efficient. And then you could always go back to the numbers. You could always go back to the analytics and say, look, you're shooting 31% from the field. And let's go back to your shots and see, and see if we could gut out some shots that you could stay away from. And I always tell a player, you could always get that shot 10, 12 seconds from now. Why take it with the first pass in the shot? If you want to work it around and get it back and take that shot, I'm okay with it at the end of a possession. But like first shot, you're going to back a guy down from the three-point line and take this tough contested look or dribble nine, 10 to 12 times and take this tough shot. You could always get that shot. Yeah. But let's try to like give it up, space the floor. If you get it back, try to get a better shot than that. And I think you have to judge shot selection. And again, I think if you communicate Matt to the player, say, look, this isn't going to be result-based. We're going to talk about a lot of shots that you missed that were great shots. Yeah. And I want to encourage you to do that. But we're going to talk about a lot of like made shots that weren't so great. So I think they I think if you could like relay the message unbiased and tell the player, look, it's not result-based. We're going to, we're just going to try to increase your percentages. We're going to increase your efficiency. We're going to have a better chance of winning by doing this. And it increases your value. Look, and you always got to go the selfish way, Matt, in my opinion. Look. There are 9,000 players at your position just in the state of Texas that has highlight that that's that has all these highlight tapes and the competition so fierce with college coaches in their DMs and their emails trying to get players trying to get scholarships or you know get spots in their squad. How are you going to separate yourself? Well, if they look at your huddle or they look at your stats, like Johnny shoots 38%, Mikey shoots 56%. I'm going with Mikey, you know, uh, the, you know, it's that thin, the competition level is that thin where you need to be as efficient as possible. And plus you win more games and you're yeah. more valuable that way. So that to me is sort of the way I, I sort of see shot selection. I love how you, how you communicate that with players. And I think it's, it's always fun when sometimes when I get to do these talks with coaches, I realize that the way that they do things, man, it's way better then I'm really falling short uh, in, in that area. With shot selection, I, I completely align. And I think we have those types of talks at faith with our players. We we use a scale that PGC had uh, that, and you, sure. you're familiar with PGC and because I know you, you work, you've talked at their clinics before. Um, sure. uh, but five, what loses games more than anything else? Shot selection. And I, we ask the players, raise your hand if you've, lost a game by eight or less points and everybody raised their hands. That's one bad shot a quarter. And it's something that we really can't control. 
And so we say fives and sixes, those 50-50 shots or contested jumpers. You, you take the majority of your game is taking that. Uh, you're you're going to get beat. Uh, but I love I love how clear you are with that. And I think that's really smart. Yeah, the problem, Matt, the problem is where we face today that we didn't face as much 15, 20 years ago is every player from 1 to 15 on your roster is studying James Harden, is studying Greek Freak, they're studying, you know, Steph Curry. And those guys make a living in the best of the best of taking tough, bad shots. And not every player, especially role players. Yeah. We're going to be able to do that. Like I do a study when I was at the Mavericks. And then when I talk to any NBA player, there's 510 NBA spots, right? And this, this goes for high school and college too, but it just, let's break down the NBA. There's 510 NBA spots, 450 roster spots, 62 wave spots. There's 510 players. There's about 105 players that take 10 shots or more. So 80% of the NBA don't get plays called for them. They have to spot up shoot. They have to straight line drive. They have to transition, you know, cut, re offensive rebound, come off pin downs. Like they have to live in a, a, a sort of a not, um, I would say, a not an infinite amount of shots. They, they get three or four, five, some get one, some get two. So they have to be efficient and do other things to, to win. The problem is every young player, because everybody trains the same, they work on the same isolation, tough shots that they'll never take in a game. And it's not that you can't do it. That's the thing. Like, I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of training companies that make a living on saying, don't, you know, you should never say never. You should never say you can't do something. I understand the logic behind that. But if you if you just break down the game, and, I, and if, I, if I'm training Johnny and Johnny says, hey, Coach, I want to work on this one-legged fadeaway. I want to work on this. I want to work on that. What I would say is, Johnny, let's go back to the film. Let's go back to the shots you took all year. Why would you, like, okay, so we went through your shots. How many times did you take that shot? Also, let's go to the NBA tape. Go to NBA.com stats. They have a great, uh, I don't know if they still do it, but they have, um, they have like a video shot chart where you can go through all players' shots, right? Let's go through five games of, um, you know, not necessarily Luka Doncic. Well, let's go through Luka, right? Uh, Luka's tough because he takes a lot of tough ones. But let's go look at – But he's um, an outlier. Like you can't – He's an outlier. Like, you let's can't take, – yeah. No. Let's take Chris Middleton, who's an NBA All-Star, right, you go. from yeah. Milwaukee Bucks. And let's go through all his shots. All right, and we'll go through five or six games, which is probably close to 100 shots. How many times do you take tough contested, you know, isolation moves? Okay, out of 100, 11? Okay, most of the shots, where they come from? Spot ups, straight line drive, one, two dribble pull up, pick and roll reads, transition, cut, offensive rebound. Okay, so a majority of these shots, so if, if you take out of 100 shots, if you take this five times, or four times this type of shot. Why would you, in a 350-shot workout, take 311 tough, contested, isolation shots when you have to train your brain to play a certain way? Like, to me, when I worked with players with the Mavericks, Matt, first of all, I liked the players that weren't ahead of it. You know, I want to work with the guys that needed to go from 11, 12, 13 in the roster to 8, 9, 10 in the roster and above, right? So. 
I have to train them. I can't train them the same way I would train a prize fighter. I have to train them like an underdog. If if you watch Rocky, like Clubber Lane, when he was ro- training a Rocky Three, he wasn't in the famous gyms and stuff. He was in some dirt hole in Chicago, like doing like pull ups against the like like coat hangers. Like he was in a rough spot. Rocky, when he trained for um, Drago, was in Russia and Siberia, like lifting logs. Like you have to train your players like a like a prize fighter, and you have to tra- you have to you have to brainwash them a certain way. Look, these are the shots you're going to take. We're going to do a majority of our work is going to be these types of shots because that's what you need to be ready for in a game. If I have you working on 19 dribble move, 19 dribble dribble move, and a coach has you come in and catch the ball in the perimeter and do that, the coach is going to take you out of the game. And like you need to be programmed to be like catch and shoot, straight line drive, make the read, play good D without fouling, and then play with energy. And you're gonna you're gonna continue to get minutes, and then you'll get more responsibility to maybe be able to to scratch the surface on that isolation stuff. Maybe maybe four months from now, maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now. But let's dominate the small things and and get you in a right mind frame of the types of shots you need to be taking. And I think that you'll be a better player for it, and help your team win more games, which everybody wins in that scenario. Coaches. The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Biology. What's your BSA score? The Biology Skill Assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by the NIA and NJCAA to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This 10-minute, 100-shot test can be taken for free today on the Biology mobile app. Elevate your game. I don't get to talk to skill coaches much on here, so this is unique. I believe that high school coaches should still... Uh, in a way, be skill coaches for their players or, or put them in, op- give them opportunities throughout the season to enhance their skill, not just all team, team, team. Right. Um, what kind of reminder would you give to high school coaches that in season, out of season, are trying to do some skill stuff with their players? I think you, I think you need to take the approach of, look, you don't, you have a very limited amount of time. It's not the NBA where you can come back at night, you have practice facilities and all that stuff. Well, you know, going to some of these Texas schools, you, you might have a few practice facilities. There's some great money in some high school high school programs. <laughs> That's but right. what the way that I would do it, Matt, is like have something that you want to accomplish. So like if you and you know, most coaches will have at least one court, two, two to six baskets, whatever. So like either perimeter post or if you got three baskets that you could use point guard wing post and have something that you want to accomplish. So meaning like for a point guard, say I need them to be able to finish with their weekend. So let's spend, if I have an hour practice, let's spend a few minutes a day shooting. Like I think, I think everybody needs to to get shots up. Right. But I think then you could do another five to seven minute segment on, okay, let's do a specific skill for five to seven minutes straight where we're not doing eight things in seven minutes. We're going to do one thing in seven minutes. And so like we can finish it. All right. Post players, they need to be able to, you know, they need to be able to, you know, really be good at hook shots, like jump hooks in the paint. So like for seven minutes, the point guard is going to do nothing but we can finishing. 
the bigs are going to be doing nothing but jump hooks over either shoulder. And the, the wing players are going to really work on driving it one dribble either direction. But I want to really focus in on not tra driving without traveling. So, you know, I, I read some things on the San Antonio Spurs used to do this thing called, actually, the Atlanta Hawks got it from San Antonio. It's called vitamins, right? Like, so, and, and I think it's a really important thing. I, I've really developed a, a liking towards it where they would work on one specific thing for like 15 minutes a day, where they thought that instead of sprinkling uh, reps, a few reps on a specific skill over an hour, instead doing 15 minutes of focused work on one thing that the brain and the body would sort of, you know, sort of come to the middle and say, okay, we're going to really learn the skill instead of like just doing a few reps over an hour. And I, I really think that if you could really consolidate a seven or eight minute period or five to eight minute period to one thing where the player is going to be a lot better, you know, at it. And, and this is where I put it in. I developed a weekend development program when I was in Dallas where, A, I didn't think that anybody, coach or player, wanted to work on, you know, weekend. And I, I said, okay, how am I going to do this? You know, and then I watched all these pregame workouts and I watched all these workouts on YouTube and things over an hour, half an hour workout, hour workout. I'm like, okay, out of this hour, they sprinkled about eight, eight to 12 reps of weekend in over an hour. It wasn't even 12 in a row. So how are we going to do this? So, what I decided to do is 20 spots on the floor, seven, they got to take seven shots, not make, but take seven shots with their weekend, different angles, using the glass, no glass, underhand, overhand, all of this. Seven to 10 straight minutes a day, it ended up being 140 shots. And what it did was you're taking seven and, and a player could go 0 for 7 or, or 7 7, usually 0 for 7 with their weekend. They'll be really mad. I'm like, no, 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 I got to do another one. I got to make it. I go, no. I said, this is a competitive part of your brain needs to be really mad about it. And then also shooting seven in a row, you figure out how much power you need, how much touch, what you're doing wrong, and you figure it out with your physical part. So now your brain and physical is working together. So out of 140, maybe one day you'll make 68. Maybe the next week you'll make 75. And then it'll go up. All of my players, 100% over a three-month period, you know, they their left hand was about 80% or more as efficient as their right hand or, or they're weak to their strong. Sure. And I thought that a, a big part of that, Matt, was being able to do one skill over and over again for a five to seven to eight-minute period. You know how coaches are. They want to do this for 30 seconds and then this for 30 seconds. How is a player really going to learn and, and and really get the reps needed to be good at any of those things if you don't really spend a, a amount a finite amount of time with one thing and then move on to that move on to another thing at some point you know I think that's a a, a recurring theme I was able to speak with a, a a skills coach or a strength coach for basketball uh, right. that, that's really great his name's Lee Taft and I, I think he's one of the best in the country for basketball strength and conditioning I sent him my workout that I had our guys doing this spring and immediately in a very kind way and through our talk is it was you got to simplify it you got to do less but have them be better and giving more effort or output during that time and he's a master kind of in his field I would consider you a master in your field 
and you're kind of saying a, a similar thing do less and but maximize the learning the time their effort uh with, with those skills and the correction too matt like that's the big thing about trainers look i i you know i joke around we joked around at dinner that night like on, on certain things about trainers and things i don't I never really want to say that a trainer, what a trainer is doing is wrong, right? If the player believes in that trainer and they continue to pay money and, and like if they believe in them and they feel as though they're getting better, all good, great. The one thing that I will definitely say about most trainers in a negative way is a lot of them never correct. They never stop and correct if a player is doing something wrong and they're going to the next drill or the next move. And all they want to do is, okay, you got to take 10 or 15 or 20 of these or do this for a minute. And a player will be making mistakes that could really hurt them. And there's no correction. I think player development is simply this. It doesn't matter what drill you do. You could be as simple as you want or, or ever as you know, technical as you want or, or, ne or next level as you want, right? I think that it's all about repetition, correction, and repeat. And when you make your correction, you got to be able to do it 15, 20 seconds tops, maybe 30, and then move on to the next thing. And I think that's a really important part of things that you've got to be able to correct. Uh, one, you know, I remember when I started this sort of deal on, you know, really tuning into the player. And then I always did that, but like I would watch pregame workouts, you know, so like we're on the road, say to the Denver Nuggets. Um, we, I'd get to the arena, games at 7.30. I'd like to get to the arena about 4 o'clock. You know, I did all the rookies that we would work out three hours before the game because I want them to get used to being early to everything and sort of understand and, and being there, getting all their work in, and they could watch film or do whatever or rest. But I would always, like, get my workouts in and then watch what the other team is in our guys were doing. And I would watch the coaches. And I would watch a lot of times that, like, they were just getting to the next rep. Like, you know, and again, pregame, there's not a lot of teaching going on in pregame. I get it. Like, it's mostly 15, 20 minutes of a routine, get shots, get warm, get loose. And then and you're they're on professionals. to the next. And they're professionals. And they're, and they're professionals. So I was watching this. We were playing Denver, right, at Denver. And Will Barton was in his pregame workout. And Will was, you know, um, driving it one dribble pull-up, so two dribble pull-ups. I saw that every rep he was traveling, catching it, splitting his feet, galloping, you know, you know, shot after shot after shot after shot. Okay, not not one thing that was said. And it was, again, not to say anything bad about the coach or anything, but nothing said. And it, it never, it doesn't always work this way. Usually it doesn't. But close game, minute and a half, catches the ball in the wing. What do you think he does? Gallops, travels, and I nudge. The guy that was next to me, I'm like, because I was telling him about the workout before the game. I was like, what did I tell you? Like, all you have to do is say you travel. You travel. I always like, I'm not one of those guys who has to talk every rep and all that stuff because players don't want to hear that. But if you were, if a player is like really bad with his feet or her feet, I would want to like do a, you know, get a, get a few shots, maybe get five, six minutes of catch and, catch and drive it, catch and drive it, catch and drive it. And I want to talk every rep before they even shoot the ball. Like, no travel, no travel, no travel, travel, travel. So what they do, Matt, is when they hear travel and in, in, in their body, they could feel how that felt. 
So now they could, what my goal is on that is A, to clean them up and B, where they could self-correct in about two weeks from now, where they know what a travel feels like, where like, okay, I traveled. Yeah, definitely. So I want to clean that up where I'm like, okay, good rep, good rep, travel, good rep. Cause we're only working on one thing. And I think that's really important, especially if you, you have a player, which most players are, if you watch film on any high school, college or pro, a lot of players split their feet on those catch and goes. And I think that that's something that you have to clean up. But I think again, the coach has to be looking at the player when they're working with them at all times and correct mistakes, being able to make that correction in a short period of time and have that player buy into your, your into your tweak or change. And that's another tough de- dealing within itself and having presence to do that. But I think that that's where skill development needs to be. You need to be having your eyes fixated on the player at all times. You've got to be able to correct as tough of a conversation as that might be sometimes. And then you got to be able to come up with a correction that makes sense to them, that 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 they understand, and they could just go right back on the horse and keep working on it. And then, you know, hopefully iron that, that deficiency out. You mentioned not having to be constantly talking throughout the entire workout. And I feel like that is something that whenever I've gone to watch a player train with another coach or even a select program, and maybe there, I've even felt like that's an expectation on our end is that we constantly have to be, you know, chirping and saying something. So I think what I take from that is, you know, say less, but make sure that what you're saying is really important and actually yeah. going to help them. Here's my other question or a, a stereotype that I hear is, um, or an unrealistic expectation. Every workout, they should be dripping sweat and tired. And if they're not, they didn't get any work done. What are your thoughts on that idea? If your player's out of shape, of course, that, that, that will be it. If, if a player can't see their own feet when they look down, I think you need to be dripping sweat when you work out. But I don't believe in that at all. I, I think there are times during the season, Matt, where you need to pump it up a little bit. You need to ramp it up with their with their conditioning and their this or their activity. But the goal in mind is you want them to get them better, not necessarily get them tired all the time. You got strength coaches for that. They got treadmills for that. You've got ellipticals for that. Um, just playing in general, just just yeah. practice and getting up and down the floor five on five. Yeah, yeah. And I think there is come you know there is like part of the workout. Like if I was going for an hour, like I would really want them to go hard as heck for like ten minutes, and we'll do a lot of conditioning, shooting, and things like that. But to me, skill development should be like, okay, let's get your sort of, you know, your kill spots on the floor and work on those. Let's work on your deficiencies, you know, a couple of them where we need to really like clean some things up, travels, balance, um, could be your shot, could be whatever, right? And then the, the last 10 minutes, let's really put into your kill spots Let's work on like getting your kill spots on sprint, you know, sprint type shots and sprint type drills to get you thinking fast and quickly, as well as doing stuff, you know, game speed. Yeah. And and then going a little bit tough. But a lot of times during the season, Matt, like, look, like the you talk to the the you know, the the strength coach and we're like, look, load management's way high. If you're gonna do something, it's gonna be low, it's gonna be low impact. 
they might have eight AAU games they got to play in a weekend. You know, you know, you work them out on a Monday, and you're like, you know, they just played eight games, and, yeah. you, and now you're going to kill them again. Like, let's get in. Let's get like I always tell players like the first five or seven minutes, get your rhythm, get your let's build up. Yeah, I remember, you know, Rick Carlisle was like, you know, we're not best of friends, but he he knows how to he knows how to push buttons and players. I remember like uh, we right before training camp, we picked up Charlie Villanueva. waiver. This is probably like 2015 or so. We picked him up, and he, he Charlie's never been in great shape, but. Like, he wasn't in great shape here either. He was coming off the scrap heap. Like, p- nobody really wanted to sign him for one reason or another. I love Charlie. Charlie's the best. And and he was one of my favorite guys I worked with in Dallas. And, like, so Carlisle wanted to work him out to evaluate him. First thing he did, no mic and drill, no spots. I want you to do, like, full court transition threes off the dribble. And I looked at Charlie looked at me like, yeah, I said, all right, let's do it. And uh, so I I always think that, look, like, I think there needs to be some type of rev up until – look, if you want to kill them for 30 minutes, kill them for 30 minutes. You want to kill them for an hour, kill them for an hour. But there's got to be that five to seven minute, like, all right, let's, let's get them – let's get them loose. Let's get their mind right. Let's get their, you know, some type of routine. And then you go hard for, like, an hour. Even Kobe – in, you know, eased into going to going at his ridiculous speed and pace during a workout. But, you know, to me, I think the whole adage that you got to be dripping sweat is not right. If you, if you're at the end of your summer and you're e- easing, you, you really want to make a great statement for training camp or tryouts. Yeah. Then maybe that's right for the last 10 days or 12 days. But there's a lot of sessions, Matt, where you just want them to focus in on one thing. Like I, I'd bring a player in and be like, "Look, let's just let's just focus really good in your one-two, you know." And I don't care about how hard we go. Let's go for ten minutes. Let's go for an hour. Let's go for thirty minutes. I don't care. But let's just go at a pace where we you're just getting it. You're getting the one-two. You're getting the feel. You're getting the rhythm. And then like we don't need to go hard every day because at the end of the day, if I'm working for you, Matt. And I'm working for Faith, and you go, hey, look, you know, Danny really needs to work on his left hand. Well, my goal in mind is when you get him at the beginning of the year or by the end of the year, whatever have you, I want you to come back and say, Danny's hand was at a left hand was at a three. Now it's at a seven. You did your job. That's great. That's what that's what I needed. So. Now, if Danny was out of shape and you're like, Mike, we need to get Danny in shape, then, yeah, that whole yeah. drip and sweat thing is really going to come a lot more than just those workouts where we're not going as hard. But, again, the goal in mind is to get them better at certain things. The goal in mind isn't to make them you know, ready for the decathlon, you know, in, in most cases. You know what I'm saying? Just such great reminders. I think we're we're so guilty. I, I'm just thinking back to maybe even the workout that, to be transparent, that I did with my guys about an hour ago. We walked on the floor. You know, time started, and there's all there's a part of me that just thought, "All right, we got to hit it hard right from the beginning," <laughs> and we had got to go through. But so I think for skill trainers that are just starting out, 
for coaches, no matter how long you've been doing it. I think that message that you shared is is huge. Uh, the the idea of easing them in, getting their flow, getting the, whatever you want to call it, getting their rhythm up where they feel good about what they're doing, having yeah. clarity, like having clarity for what are we actually trying to accomplish instead of just throwing a bunch of stuff on the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, just great reminders, but, man. But the, but the problem, Matt, is too, players and parents don't know the difference. Yeah. They don't know the difference between not necessarily what their coach, but what their trainer is working on. Is it really helping my child at the end of the day? Are they getting better? And they're getting better at the specific things that, that their coach needs to do to get, you know, to get them to where they want to get to. And they think that going hard or working on specific, like all these moves and things that might be helping them. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But I think that like players just don't know the difference anyway. A lot of players are just going to do what the coach says or the AU coach says or the trainer says, yeah. and they're not going to question it as Look, I, I always I always open up a player to say, look, if you if you have a question of why we're doing something, be respectful about it. Wait till we're done with a specific specific drill. Like, hey, coach, how is that going to help? Just so so I know, not not necessarily questioning you, but questioning. All right, how is this going to help? So because again, you're investing in your career, and or you know in your in your craft. I think it's it is important. But look, not all players or coaches. We're all gonna. We're all different, and that's why I'll never question a coach unless they're crossing a line. I never yeah. really question what coaches do with players because that's if that's what you feel as though is going to get your players ready, then that's you're the head coach. You do what you got to do. I always try to self evaluate. I always try to say, is what I'm doing really benefiting and helping the player? Can can I change something? Um, because at the end, you know, so all these players we're working with, they're different. They get different sort of mentality. Yeah, I, I work with a sports psychologist, Don Coxstein, who's the best I've ever met in sort of dealing with players on a mental level. And that's where I think I changed my way. I'll tell you what, I, I said some ungodly things to players when I coached JV back in the 1990s. Like I, I'd, I'd be... <laughs> you got to apologize you know, to some of those dudes if you see them. <laughs> no, seriously, because I said some things that would get... Thank God there were no camera phones back yeah, then. Yeah. And and what happened, and, and just like any coach, when you're young, like you watch Bobby Knight and you watch yeah. all these guys and you emulate that. And then somebody finally gets you. It's funny two of my best friends in you know in basketball at the time one was an agent named Frank Catapano who was a, a, a lifelong friend who Brooklyn guy he's 80 years old now he's in the 60s when he was talking to me and Frank Martin who's at South Carolina who was at Northeastern at the time they brought me in and said Mike the stuff you say to players you, you got to stop wow and i had to learn that like, yeah, maybe this isn't getting getting in with players. And then I, like, you know, I, I gradually got better at it. And at times I lost my temper. But then working with DK, Don Coxstein, in Dallas for six years, we would talk this about this all the time. And it really helped me say, you know what, like, you can get on a player. And if you ever seen the movie Silence of the Lamb, um, with, with Hannibal Lecter, he he said something great. 
he's like, um, I forgot what he, oh, he said, I could like, I forgot to say like, I could eat your face and my blood pressure will never get above like 80. And that's the truth. Like you really want to rip into a player, Matt, you could do it without, without even raising your voice. You could look them in the eye and say, that's not good enough. And this is why it's not good enough. And I think as, as coaches, I think you could, we could always get better. We always got to keep self-evaluating. Is this really getting through to the player? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to win more games. We're trying to get players better. We're trying to get more clients. So what's the best way to get to the player that way? You can never let players walk all over you. You can't talk down a player. So it's got to be a happy medium. Mm. But there's always a line that if a player crosses it, you're going to let them know that they crossed the line. But you got to do it in the right right mind frame. And um, it's unbelievable the difference my approach in coaching now versus when I was 20 doing it or 22 doing it. But I think that just like anything else, we get older, we get better, you know? The Jamoti podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. Man, there's so much to unpack there. And I, I want to celebrate the fact that you brought Silence of the Lambs and somehow made that work for basketball. Yeah. Like <laughs> Tom Fuller at his best. Just brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> but it's interesting, though. Like at what point, I think most coaches, most of us go through that where at some point when we're starting out, we're just trying to emulate or mimic the things that we've seen the people like I played for Dave Bliss at Baylor my first three years he was a Bobby Bobby Knight disciple so I basically Mm -hmm. played for Bobby Knight just maybe he was a little bit better in front of the cameras at times Dave Bliss was and so that's how I I wanted to be like him and I started out my college career being like him but then I realized that the way coach Drew my my senior year at Baylor the way he talked to us the way he treated us and the the amount of joy and love that he made us feel from him, man, that was probably a better way. But it's interesting. You talk about that moment where you had some people speak into your life, but you made that shift. I think that happens to a lot of coaches at some point. And by the way, it was Frank Martin. Does anyone watch Frank Martin when he coaches? That that was surprising because when you said his name, I was like, oh man, he he's probably the guy that's ripping them apart. But, but he's, you know, he probably has, because we only see sometimes the bad things or the things that, you know, the those intense moments when the camera zooms in. I would imagine, though, he is one of the biggest relationship oh, guys out there. The best. I met Frank working the Nike All-American camp in Indianapolis. He coached at Miami Senior High School, big-time Nike-sponsored program. Adonis has him, Steve Blake a ton of uh, college uh, college players that went on and played Division One, And Frank was like, he looks like meat from Porky's. That's what he looked like. You ever watch the Porky's movies? And and he's so, like, scary on the sideline. But then you would talk to him. We'd go out to eat and talk. He He's the most genuine human being I've ever met in my life. And we have a long you know, long lasting relationship. But he, he came to Northeastern, which is like, I'm trying to compare it to us. It's like uh, UT Arlington, like that's sort of the program, that stature, right? 
And so he was making like 40 grand living in Boston at 40 grand. You can't do it. He didn't even have a car. So I would, I coached at an AU team that was a really good AU team out of Boston. And I would pick him up almost every day and take him to recruiting and, and games. And we spent a ton of time together, but it was important for me, for him to say that to me, just because those two guys I respected and, Hey, look, like everyone has their different deal and, and their different way they get across to players. And um, look, my dad was a, an electrician to the uh, the Italian mob boss in Boston. Trust me, like the characters that I was around at a young age and, and being able to one liner for one liner is pretty high level. And you add that with a Bobby Knight flair and it's not good because I could get under any player's skin. And I still do to this day. But, like, now I just – my approach is a lot different to that. But it's just like, Matt, like, it's like um, if you're a kid, if you're your dad, you know, if, if a child's dad is hot-tempered, you know, borderline abusive, and you get that for 18 years, what do you think you're going to be when you grow up? Like, yeah. uh, there, there's a guy that worked for the Celtics when I was a scout. His name is John Neednagel, and they call him the Brain Doctor. He's got a great book on brain typing in sports. I would definitely recommend anyone. Um, I'll give you the name. Yeah. It's on my yeah. bookshelf somewhere. So this book is called Your Key to Sports Success wow. by John Neednagel. And basically what it is is brain types humans, but basketball players, into 16 brain types, you know, and it's like four letters, four combinations in the 16 brain types. And you have the ISTP, the Michael Jordan brain type, and each letter has two different combinations, the first, second, third, and fourth. And, um, and I, I started learning this with John. I don't know anything really much about it, but he was talking about each of the brain types are different, like Michael Jordan is like the Unabomber, like, you know, like um, introverted, you know, focus, motor skill, all that. So, but he would tell me, so we had a couple of guys on our roster that had Michael Jordan's brain type. And I'm like, John, why, if this guy, you know, this guy's averaging three and a half points a game, he goes, Mike, like the brain type's the brain type. There are people walking around with the greatest of brain types. But the first 18 years in a child's development, you know, they, if they're, if they're in a great, if they're in a great environment, they're going to be pretty good. It doesn't matter really what brain type you're at, but you can have the best brain type possible. But if you're in a bad environment, you're going to be rough. So what that made me understand is the first 18 years in your life is really important with the way you go about things. So same thing in your coaching career. Like if you're the first, like if you're working as a grad assistant for a tyrant, you know, at some school, when you get to your first coaching job, where do you think you're going to coach like? If you if you had the situation that you had, like at the end of your career, sorry about that. Um, if you had that, you know, that great experience with the coach that showed you love and joy, how do you think you're going to coach your first job? You're going to have love and joy. So I think it. I think your the people that you look up to and the people you work with and the people you emulate is really important because that's what you're going to do when you're given the reins to take your first job. So, you know, and that goes for if you're working for a skill development trainer and you're an assistant and you get get off on your own, or if you're a, a coach, you know, if you're a teacher, if you're anything, 
I think the people that mentor you and emulate you, or you emulate, is really important to your development, really. It's great reminders. I think that my te biggest takeaway is to really think about what I'm saying to players and how I'm saying it to players because the impact yeah. could be way. Like I think sometimes we're guilty of in the in the moment we're resulting. We have all this emotion and we'll throw things out that we can't pull back, but yeah. it, it, we don't know. You, you said it. one thing that that it really there's two points I want to go back to that we've talked about within the last few the last hour. One was parents and players they don't know what they don't know. And sure. I felt that way about, so my son now kind of moving up through the select world, I go and I sure. sit at practice and I'm, yeah. I'm sitting around and I'm with these parents and I appreciate the, the way that you don't want to talk bad about other trainers. I really mm -hmm. want to do my best not to talk bad about, because there are good select mm -hmm. coaches out there and there's great programs. Sure. I, have, I haven't sat at many. I just haven't had mm -hmm. that opportunity, I guess. Sure. And so I'm sitting there. And I'm watching something happen and I'm watching the teaching or lack of and the organization or lack of. And but mm -hmm. these parents are sitting there, they're they're eating it up. And they just think this is basketball, this is coaching, this is what it is. And then in my head, there's obviously better coaches than me out there, smarter guys than me out there. But I mean, this is what like you with skill work and what and everything you've done, this is kind of what I do. And I'm always trying to get better and better. I wish that they would come and sit and watch and get to see the difference and and maybe start to, I mean, one, if if they don't see a difference, okay, well, that's on me. I got to get better. <laughs> but what, what can we do as coaches to help bridge that gap between, like, they don't know what they don't know besides just mandating you have to come and sit at my practices because that's what they're doing with select ball. Well, the problem, Matt, right there is like, look, I'm a I'm a big fan of cooking shows. Like I like I love Gordon Ramsay, right? Do you think I know how much paprika that I really need to put in a recipe versus not? None of these parents know. They don't know. Like they watch, they watch practices and they watch all this stuff. All they'll see is like all they're seeing at the end of the day is my kid's going to get a scholarship or not. And this, this program has brought out all these scholarship players for one reason or another. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but like, that's all they're seeing. And they don't understand how it's made the actual, you know, it's like, no one knows how sausages or hot dogs are made. Right. No one really wants to see that. And if they did, they, they don't know what, they don't know what's right or wrong anyway. So the problem is they don't know. And they, and all they're thinking is they're putting all this trust in them. And, and that's a big problem. When, you know, when I was with Dallas, a lot of times Nike would have me talk to the select players in the summer at camps because they know that I tell the truth. So I'll, I'll come in with like these kids that are freshmen, sophomores, juniors in, in high school. And I'll, I'll come in with these NBA draft, um, draft, the actual draft results. But then again, the high school rankings versus this draft class's result. And yeah. I'm like, look, guys. Like you have a select amount of time to get this thing right, or you're at the end of the rope here. So we bring in high school rankings, we bring in the McDonald's game uh, sheet of the, the selection of the McDonald's of, of that class, and then the NBA draft four years later, and where these guys ended up. And I'm like, look, you've got four years where you're relevant, and 
you got to do the right things because there have been so many of these McDonald's All-Americans that ended up getting toe-tagged in an NBA morgue because of the fact that they didn't do the right things over this five, six-year period of time, which you can never get back. So when I then would see these players that I would speak to four or five years later at Dallas, they went from fifth in the country to trying out for a summer league team that they have no chance of making. And I would sit them down and I would be like, John, we talked about this six years ago, about the importance of streamlining your development, doing things the right way, finding coaches, trainers, and people around you that are going to tell you the right things to do, not just necessarily what you want to do. And you can't, you couldn't waste your time. Now you went from a position of power six years ago to now you're fighting for your basketball life in a gym in Las Vegas, but no one's really paying attention anyway, because now, and, and now your career has to take a completely different turn as far as what you have to do to get back to this moment, because you're probably not going to make our team. You probably won't be here in 72 hours. So now you're going to have to figure out your career, how you navigate from lower level international ball to get back to the minors, to get back to the NBA. It's probably going to be a three or four year, you know, sort of process for you. And they don't want to hear it then either. And I'm like, look, I'm just telling you the truth of how this thing's going to work. And I think that's really important, but they don't, unfortunately, Matt, they don't want the help until things are done. There's going to be five stages that everybody goes through. And I'll, I'll take your name, for example. Who's Matt? Keep an eye on Matt. Get me Matt. Get me a Matt type. Who's Matt? Like there's five stages of everybody that they have to go through in relevancy. Basketball, life, you could put it anywhere. Yeah. You only have a certain amount of time where you're relevant and where you have these times to make mistakes and grow and and then you're going to be relevant for a certain amount of time, and then everyone's going to forget about you. It happens to me. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to everybody. So, like, with these parents, the only thing you can do is tell them. The only thing you can do is look them in the eye, tell them the truth, and say, look, I understand where you think this is right, but these are things you got to watch out for because it's going to end up biting you in the end. And I'm only here to try to help you and try to be honest with you. And this may not be beneficial. This may not be benefiting your child as much as you think it is. Because they don't understand that there are so many players out there. There's, so, there's only a, a finite amount of spots available for these kids to play college. And they think that, like, just by playing for a team or certain events or certain camp, or in front of certain scouts are going to get, they're just going to put all their eggs in, the, in that basket. And the problem is by the time it's done and they can't help themselves anymore, that everybody's moved on. Somebody told me something that was really, really good about three weeks ago. He goes, Mike, basketball is going to move on with or without you. So you could either do it the right way and stay relevant, or it's going to move on and no one's going to care. And that's the truth. Unfortunately, Matt, you're not going to be able to save these people. Um, you know, you have a, you, you watch that show, 1887, 1883? 1883? One of my, one of my favorite shows on TV. You, you ever watch Yellowstone? 
No, but I, I it's on my list because a, a lot of people told no, me it's phenomenal. It's, it's, it's off the charts. Okay. So eight, so Yellowstone's about present day. This, um, you know, it, it's about this ranch, and it, like with this family that's owned this ranch for hundreds, a couple hundred years. It's a great show. 1883 is a prequel to that. Okay. Uh, how okay. they uh, how they got to this ranch and, and bought the land and all that. So basically, it was the Oregon Trail. What what right? order would you go through if you were me? Would you go 1883? It doesn't first? matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. I would go. I would go Yellowstone, and then go back to 1883. Okay. Well, anyways, it's about it's about 1883 is really about the Oregon Trail and going and getting. They were trying to go to Oregon from Texas. And these big group of German people came over for freedom and to go from Texas to Oregon. And it's a treacherous trail. So basically, Sam Elliott was trying to tell, like, it was him and, like, two other people trying to get this big group of people over to Oregon. And basically, like, a lot of them didn't want to listen to how things needed to be done. And they had no survival skills. So he's basically saying, look. I'm going to keep you alive here, but, you know, oh, no, we're going to go this way on the path instead of this way. And then usually, unfortunately, when they moved on without these people and they tried to go their own way, these people end up getting killed in like 24 hours or less. So what I'm saying is you're the visionary. You've seen this happen a thousand times. All you can do is tell these people, look, I'm just telling you how this thing's going to end. I'm not going to try to I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to drag you. I'm just telling you, I've seen this happen a thousand times. You got to watch out for it because right now you're in a position of power. Your kid's a freshman. He's got three years to sort of like where people are going to be watching and, and doing things. But the problem is a year from now, there's going to be another freshman. And then he's going to only have two years left. And then there's going to be another sophomore. And there's going to be all these groups of people pushing behind him where he's going to be done in high school. And you're going to be like, what happened? Like. Now, you know, no school's recruiting my son. He still can't shoot. He doesn't know how to read any defenses. I'm like, look, I tried to tell you to stay on the trail. You got to do this. And you didn't want to do it. And now you got no hope because now there's a thousand kids trying to get scholarships or college spots. Your son's averaging four and a half points a game. There's no way they're going to make it. But I tried to tell you three years ago and I stayed away from it. And all you can do, Matt, is you can try to tell them, you can try to keep them on the trail, but it, it, it's inevitable where it ain't yeah. going to end well. Let me ask you this. When you had those talks with those players six, five or six years after the, mm -hmm. the initial talk, and right. what, what is – obviously there's probably uh, two you know, directions it could go, but what's the – what do you see the most from them? How do they react to that? Denial, denial. Most people think that they're, they're still going to hit the lottery. They're going to, you know, oh, I'll make this team and I'll do this, I'll do that. Some say you're right. You know, you, you were right. Like, I, I did this the wrong way. Some want to blame others, you know, like they did this, they did that, they did this. And it's hard, man. It, it's hard it, to, to face your mortality in a sport or yeah. a craft or a career is really tough. And not many people can look themselves in the mirror and say, you know what, at the end of the day, I should have done it this way. And I chose to do it this way. And it was the wrong thing. And it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough talk to have 
but some people still have time to do it the right way and come back to where they want to come back to. But telling players the truth to me, it, it's hurt my business. It's hurt my career. But I think the way that I've learned from a lot of great people in my life is you just got to tell the truth and you got to, because you, at the end, you're trying to help people. And I, I really enjoy that part of it. And again, just because of where we are today in society, most people don't, they don't want to go that route. They want to go the fluff route and they go, oh, everything will just be okay. And, and trust in it like that. I'm like, how can you put that much trust in something if you don't really know what it's about and you're just putting all this trust in these things? You know, because unfortunately, there's a lot of vultures out there with training in, in select teams and camps and things that just take your money and then they're off to the next person. Yeah. Again, if you if you watch the movie Outlaw Josie Wills with Clint Eastwood, there's always that snake oil salesman that comes into your town and trying to sell you that elixir. And by the time you figure out it's it's bogus, he's on to the next town. And that's what this that's what a lot of youth basketball is about. And it makes me sick, but what are you gonna do? You can only take your convoy as many people that wants to go with you on the Oregon Trail to Oregon. If they want to <laughs> go right, right, they want to go left. I'm going straight. I'm moving on with or without you. And unfortunately, I'm without you a lot of times, and it's just not going to be good for anybody. Yeah, you mentioned that you, you might have lost a lot of business over the years telling the truth. But the good thing, and, and I would not, – not that you need encouragement, but it's kind of encouraging myself and any other coach in here too. The more that you tell the truth in that moment, it may not seem like it's benefiting you or it's not even benefiting them, but – I mean, I, you got to one feel you have to feel good about yourself, right? The fact that you've done it that way. And we're just sowing those seeds that hopefully at some point, whether it's it's in basketball, great, but more importantly, it's in life and the relationships of these players that that truth that we sowed at that moment helps them when it really matters. It does. It does. You lose sleep at night, unfortunately, it's just sort of like you're haunted by these ghosts, right? Yeah. Like like this player could have done it the right way and done right. And you feel bad because it's not like they're bad people. They just don't understand. Like I've got this laundry list of stories that I could always go back to and say, look, in this situation, this player did this and this is what happened. I'm like a defense lawyer every day of my life. Like that's how you got you to gotta be like trying to keep OJ Simpson out of jail you know, that's what you're doing. And, and you, because you can't, to me, you can't just say, like a lot of people just say things with no substance to it. They'll just say it. It'll lie blatantly to somebody. Mm -hmm. To me, everything that I say, there's either something that I can explain, a story I can revert back to, or an article or something that says, look, same player, same situation. They did this. Like I had a, I had a situation recently where I have a friend that ha is involved with a player that's in the SEC. And he's not putting up a lot of numbers in the SEC, barely plays. He's got, a, he's got some talent. And he's like, well, no, they, he's going to be a focal point next year. And I say, look, I've had this happen before. There was a player um, that I coached that went to University of Memphis. He was an African big kid. Um, good kid, had a lot of raw ability, but he really, it's when Cal just went to Memphis. 
And the person that was handling him didn't think it was a good idea to go to Memphis. He thought it was a good idea to maybe go to a smaller school, put up, put up numbers, and then be a focal point of the team where they can develop because the only way you're going to get better is to play minutes early on in your career. So he ended up going there. He played four years, sparring role, and never really did much with his career. Played over, you played in some international leagues and stuff. But because of the fact he never really got a chance to play because he needed that extra development. And I told a story, and I tried to help. But, again, nobody really wants to hear it. They want to be like, no, this is going to be the outlier. Outlier, outlier, outlier. Outliers very rarely happen. And I think it's always important through experience, you know, look, I can't do the things physically that I could do before when I was 22. No one can at 46. But, like, I think what where I bridge the gap, Matt, is experience. Yeah. Not necessarily like, oh, you work with Kobe or the NBA, but, like, being in, in the business of basketball for 20 – oh, boy, 22 – 22 plus, yeah, 28 years. So, like, I've seen a lot. And I, and I could always revert back to stories that, like, this is what happened in this situation and here are the four or five, out, you know, sort of outcomes. And they're all this, they're all basically the same. So, yeah, you got to tell people the truth. You got to, you know, you got to try to, like, keep your conscience clean. And you, you got to help them and encourage them. But not, not just try to cut their knees out, but encourage them. But say, look, I know where you're trying to go. But this is the best way. And I think that, like, meeting with players, like if I was a high school coach, I would, I would sort of budget time to talk to every one of my players individually for five or ten minutes of time. In Dallas, we had, this, we had this great rule that, like, all our developmental players, our players' first three years of their career, when we got into a city, when we were traveling, it didn't matter if it's a one-game trip or a seven-game trip. It only happened on the first night of a road trip. We talked to each individual player in our hotel room, myself and the sports psychologist, and we would we, we, we chop it up for about 15 minutes. And we'd talk about how they're doing on, you know, in life, how they're doing in basketball, what we see and what the coaches are saying, and things that they can do better or things that we see but what are the coaches are saying that they need to do to get more time and more opportunity? So we always would just understand where they're coming from. Some players could be homesick. Some players could be dealing with people trying to borrow money from them. They're going through this personal problem, or they just have this problem with the coach or this problem with the coach. So we always try to have this two-way communication where we don't just like not talk to them except the time they're on the floor and then some personal problems happen or some disciplinary things that happen, and we don't we don't address it and put that fire out quickly. So I think that, that all this stuff that we're talking about, telling players the truth, meeting with them, giving them role definition, all this stuff that could come up, that could come up in these individual meetings every couple of weeks, every ten days, once a week, whatever whatever time constraint you're on. I think that's a really important part of it. That's what truth in love, like that's that's the part that it's talking about when it says the in love part. Not because truth by itself can be hurtful. Will be will the people will naturally block that negative truth that's coming towards them. But if they they know that they're it's from love or relationship is is even a better way to say it in sport. You know, it, you having those meetings with those players built relationship, which allowed the truth that you were trying to give. They were, they were able to receive it more. And I think that's a great reminder for high school coaches. 
is the only conversation you have with your players about basketball or about something specific that you're doing that day? Or are you taking the five to 10 minutes, those five to 10 minute meetings to talk about anything, to talk about their, their, their lives outside of, the, of basketball? Life has to be involved in it. Um, you know, it depends on how comfortable that player is talking about life. But some players never wanted to talk about it, so we just left it alone. Um, and then our sports psychologists dealt with that by themselves. You know, I dealt with the basketball aspect and the development aspect. You know, and that's where we collaborated, uh, Don Coxine and myself. But then when it had to do with, like, you know, life stuff, that's when they go, those guys met in private without me because it had really very little to do with me, if nothing at all. So I think life has to come up. You got you to gotta show some interest in what they're about. And, you know, how, how, however much they want to talk about life, you, you put it in there. You know, basketball is important because that's what they're trying to do. That's why you're in their life. You know, as much as we want to try to guide them in life, we're only in, our, in their least, these players' lives because of basketball. Yeah. So, like, try to keep it basketball, not majority, but at least half. And if they want to talk more about life, then we talk more about life. But uh, to me, I don't want them to think that I was trying to intrude too much. Yeah. Where basketball was the, the focal point, trying to get them to a place they need to get to on the basketball end. And then um, in the life part, you know, however that's going to seep its way in, then we do. And, you know, talk about their family, talking about – like, you know, what they're interested in, you know, all those different things. But, yeah, you try to too there between pros and high school or even college players sometimes. There's a difference there in just the maturity and where they're at yeah. in life and, and the professionalism that's involved uh, with that. Yeah. Yeah, I have, it's funny, the professionalism that you mentioned that. I, I'm doing um, a presentation tonight for Phil Beckner and talking about off-season development what's important you know you listen to all these all these presentations about player development off season all of it's like point guard wing post da, da, da. but a lot of it to me is like communicating with the player so like one of the things that i had out of my 10 was teaching the players how to be professional and I was watching this, you know, shocker, I'm going to give you a movie reference, but I'm was, loving um, it though. I'm loving yeah, the movie. There, there was this documentary, not documentary, <laughs> it's like movie about Mike Tyson. And, um, you know, when he was a kid, he had this trainer in upstate New York training him. And, and he asked him, Mike, what's a professional, you know, mean to you? And, and he goes, well, he, first off, of course, he wants to mention the money. He goes, it's got nothing to do with money. He said, being a professional to me, and this is where I changed the, wording of it but being a professional to me is doing these winning traits day in and day out regardless of how you're feeling how you're playing or how your team's doing and trying to do those things and I think trying to teach your players even if they're young the importance of being early the importance of eye contact the importance of you know putting your work in the importance of obviously the schoolwork versus the, the basketball um, doing the right things off the court, you know, trying to be as professional as possible. If you get a freshman that's playing for you for varsity and you have a chance to sort of preach this professionalism for four years and when they leave you and they go off into the real world, they go off into college to play, that they've got these professional traits in them and in, in body. And I think that, 
I think that's really important. I think professionalism to develop is way more important than developing a left hand left hand layup or a floater or a three point shot. Like because now you're teaching real life skills. And I think that when I was in Dallas, Don and DK and myself, we embod- we really had that approach where we want to teach our players first to how to be professional. And because if they most likely they're going to get traded or cut from us, we want them to go to another situation and they don't have to be retaught to be professional. You know, if they're going to get better in basketball with Dallas, they're going to get better in basketball with Dallas, but they're going to be professional and they're going to have this approach where they're going to get their work in. They're going to be early. They're going to be allow themselves to be coached and not. And, and we always told them, look, you don't have to see eye to eye with everybody that tries to hold you accountable. You don't, because that's just in life. It's just a, you know, it's real life. You're right. not going to, you're not going to approach it that way, but teaching players how to be a you know professional is a huge part in off-season development and on-in-season development. But the professionalism is a very important you know trait to it. Coaches, the one thing that every team needs is confident shooters. The last eight years at Grapevine Faith, our teams have averaged 354 made threes each season. I love getting to share with coaches how our shooters train and more importantly how they think. If you would like to enhance your shooting culture at your school, contact me directly at jamodipodcast at gmail.com. And this is your opportunity. I appreciate the fact that you're not going to call anybody out and, and say anything negative. But what are things, if, if high school coaches want to be better at teaching skill and, and helping their players improve individually, what are some things that we just need to stay away from? If you could say, don't do this, 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 and this, if this is your moment, coach, what do you got? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. I have a, um, a slide tonight about like how I, I, I don't want to play God. And, and like that they're asking me to do do's and don'ts in player development. I never really want to say don'ts, but uh, what to stay, what to so Matt, you're saying what to stay away maybe, from player maybe development? Maybe best. Okay, so... This is something that I used to, when I would send an email out to my parents at the end of the season, I'd always tell them, like, listen, my dad and I would go all around DFW to find skill coaches, and I'd work with them when I felt like this was a direction I didn't want to go to. I wouldn't work work with them anymore. If this was something that wasn't going to help me or translate, you know, I would, but if I liked them, i stay with them. So I encourage my parents to go find other voices, other skill coaches. I think it's a good thing. I gave them three things to look out for. And these are just, it's all, it's my opinion mm-hmm. and not right or mm-hmm. wrong. I said, if he's got an earpiece in or he's on his phone a ton during the workout, don't go back. Don't pay for that anymore. Now, not mm-hmm. different from looking up a workout or filming something, but just <laughs> talking okay. to somebody or doing something like so, that. Got it. What's your second and third? The second one was uh, conditioning. I don't think that they should condition in a skills workout, meaning we're going to run, we're going to do push-ups, we're going to jump rope. Like, you can do that on your own. Anything that you could really do on your own, don't don't pay for that. And then the third one was uh, competition, meaning uh, too much one-on-one, two or two or three-on-three, where there's not specific rules you're not trying to work on a skill that you just had worked at put in place uh and it's just really we're going to roll the ball and just compete like you can do that out the playground for free so mm-hmm. those were kind of my three things well you know matt they don't play at the playground anymore that's true, you know? that's true. yeah they're yeah. They're, they're, they're 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 like like 
there's playground's gone. gone. Playground's it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, playground's gone. It's like the it went the way of the VCR tape, you know. Nice. But okay, so now I get the question. I I, I totally get the question. I would stay away from a couple of things. I would stay away from a any coaches that keep their eyes off the player, you know, for long periods of time. If your child or your player, you know, if you if you go into a trainer and their eyes are off the player most of the time and they're just going drill to drill to drill, go, go, go home. You know, just, just take your ball and go home. Second thing is if there's like more than six players on the court in your session, go home, go home. Because to me, you can't get much instruction with more than six players. Like you're paying good money. It depends on what you're paying. You get what you pay for. If it's a free workout or a $10 a workout and there's 10 players, 20 players, okay, I get it. If there's not at least one coach on the floor in your session, go home. If you get like, you know, say you get 20 kids and then there's like two coaches and then keep rotating baskets. Again, the only way you're going to get better is if somebody who knows more about the sport than you is fixated on you, correcting you right when you make a mistake, not five minutes after you make a mistake. And the only way you're going to do that is by having small group, by having a person fixated with their eyes on you and be able to correct. If you go through a whole session and never correct one time, then what are we doing here? You know, look, the airpiece, it's all ridiculous. The air, the airpiece, the, um, you know, the more cameramen than a Steven Spielberg movie, rap music or any type of music blaring when you're working out, all that stuff is ridiculous, right? But it is what it is. If if the if they keep paying for it, they keep paying for it. But the meat and potatoes of it, the foundation of it is, are your eyes on your child and the player? Are there one or multiple coaches with them? Are the groups small enough? And do the coaches actually correct you? Those are things you look for. And if you don't get them, run for the hills. Because again, it's like homeless people in Portland with in in. The Dallas area, there's 5 million trainers. There's 5 million trainers. If you've been to Portland, trust me, I've been to Portland plenty of times with the Mavericks. There's homeless people everywhere. And wow. in San Francisco, same thing. And I don't even know why I brought that up. But, like, I'm just saying it's good. there's millions of them. There's yeah. no shortages of trainers. There's, it's like carbohydrates in my house. There's <laughs> no shortage of all time. There you go. That's way better than homeless people. You know, <laughs> so, like, I'm telling you, you could always find somebody. but if they're not looking at you, Matt, they're not correcting you, you know, you got these big groups. I've seen them. I see them all the time. I, I spend a couple hours a week just watching these workouts. Some of them are good. Some of them are terrible. And But all in all, do they really care or are they really trying to take your money? You know, and that's, that's to me, with the skill development piece, that's an important part of it. Now, I kind of took it that way. But then let's go another direction with it. You're talking to high school coaches that just want to train their own players better. Yeah. What are some what are some good practices or what are some things? Hey, just be careful when you you're watching a, a YouTube video on, of a of a skills guy that, that something looks really good and just taking it into your gym or things like that. What are what are some things? Yeah, you know, you know me, I, I live by the motto dominate simple. And and I think when you're trying to do these complicated things. I think that you have to build on everything that you do in skill development, meaning like, okay, if you want to get into that two dribble step back, um, you know, a, a two dribble step back jumper in the mid range. Well, let's not start with the two dribble step back from the mid range. Let's start with the one, two on the catch. 
Let's start with putting them on the floor without dribbling, uh, without, sorry, without traveling. traveling yeah. Let's, let's master like the, like rip through, get to the basket finish, the one dribble pull up, the two dribble pull up, and then we get to the two dribble step back. Like Kobe always told me that he never works on combo moves. Like he would never do that. Like I remember in 2011, he flew myself and Tim Grover out to work with him before the, um, the, the, the season was on strike and they were, they, you know, and they were about to get off the strike. They were about a week or two away. So him and I went to California to work with Kobe. And I was breaking down all this film with Kobe on the, on the flight. They were having a new coach. Mike Brown took over for Phil Jackson. So I was going over all the San Antonio stuff to make sure that in our workouts, he's sort of used to the kill spots that is going to be different than the triangle. So I saw this move that he did. It was like an in and out crossover step back, you know, and um, he did it like 15 times or 10, 11 times in like a three-week period in the season, which is a lot to do one move in, in, in like three games. So like at the end of our workout, last five minutes, you know, I always tried to put something in, in the last five. And I was like, hey, Kobe, we're going to work with the uh, in and out crossover step back. I was like, I never do that. I never work on that. I go, wait, Kobe, you did it like 11 times <laughs> in three games. He goes, yeah, yeah, I understand that. But he goes, I master each thing individually. So I master the in and out layup. I master the in and out jump shot. I master the step, uh, the crossover layup, the crossover jump shot, the in and uh, the step back jumper and the step back, pull the ball in front and lay it in. And I do them thousands of times, each individually. So now I go on the court and if somebody stops something I'm trying to do, I could always go to a counter. I said, how would you, he goes, I don't even compute how you would actually like say that I'm going to do this move with three different moves in it before you even try anything. Like when you catch the ball, you don't know how the defender is going to react. So it's like millions of combinations. Like how would you even do that? So he goes, the way I do it, the way I train, the way I work with it and the way I think is master one move a million times, not a million, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then if they take something away, you go to a counter. If they take something away, do something else. So what I would talk to uh, skill coach of uh, coaches that are trying to work with their players is be simple, build up from a foundation, and then be consistent with your foundation. The one thing I don't like about skill coaches, the million-dollar move they'll do on a Tuesday, they'll do it on a Tuesday. You'll never, you'll never see it again. And then yeah. there'll be another million-dollar move the next day. How are you going to be good at something unless you don't do it day after day, rep after rep, and master it? And I don't know. I I don't believe in any of that ten thousand hours stuff. I don't know. There's no there's no like calculated result. But you you got to do it more than one time, and you got to do it more than one day. So like to me, most of our workouts that I'll put a player through during the season, it's going to be the same. And then I might add a little, tweak something every couple of weeks because again, I got a prize fighter on my hands. I need them in a certain mind frame. And if they're going to try a move, they're going to try a new thing. I want to make sure that we had thousands of reps on a daily basis so they can master this thing and then they, they don't even have to think about it. So I would say more simplicity and build on things rather than trying to put this, these complicated things in the first time, the first day. It's, it, you know, it's like when you're trying to get to the fourth option on, on your transition offense, why don't we master like, like pushing the ball up the floor and look ahead passes so we didn't have to get to that fourth option. We could score on the layup. Okay, they take the layup away. Let's hit the trail big. Maybe the trail big has a trail three. Okay, the trail big doesn't have the trail three. Now they go to a swing to the other side for either a jump shot or a straight line drive. Or now uh, the other option, catch it, swing it, pick and roll. And now we're into our third or fourth option after mastering each 
each one of the stages of that transition offense. So to me, master the simple things and then build on from that. I would stay away from anything complicated and really build on the basics because again, you get to that two dribble step back, but they can't drive without traveling. What are we doing? Like we were not even, we're not even going to get to that. You know, that that whistle is going to blow more than, you know, a, a JV soccer match, you know? So like, you know, it's going to be travel after travel after travel. So what are we doing? You know? See what you said right there, that all makes so much sense. And I think most of us would, we coach that way offensively, you know, or defensively. Mm -hmm. We try to have simple rules or concepts. We try to become really good at that. But then all of a mm -hmm. sudden, this the skill work piece, it comes around. And I, I'm, I think this is just me personally. I think I struggle with, like, I, I get, I totally get the what you're saying. And I think I align a lot with that, with how I teach and coach. But then I do hear or see, and, uh, and there's a part of me that understands the idea of throwing a little bit more at a kid, mm -hmm. uh, doing some things with them that create or have that, that may not, and I hate to say it, but may not actually translate in a game, but there's mm -hmm. a creativity level getting sure. outside the box, but that, that I feel like pulls me a little sometimes. And, you know, you look at some of the stuff that we do at faith, like, there's a lot of things that a guy like you would probably just go, why? Like, what's the, what's the point of that? And, and there, and, but I think it's important for me to evaluate, like, am I doing things that I truly believe are going to help my player? But, but also am I correct in that belief? Cause there's people that believe in all areas of life. There are people that believe crazy things, you know, yeah. that, but, but they, but they're authentic in their belief, but it's nuts. Matt. Matt, it's like, look, everybody has the right to do things their own way. You know, it's sort of like what we're dealing with in a society about not liking somebody based on like their political beliefs, right? And, or religious beliefs. And it's the same thing. Like, like if I went into your practice or your workouts and you were doing some stuff that I would never do, right? If that was the case, that's your way. That's the way you do it. You're a successful coach. I see, I see your record every year. You guys are a successful program. Like that's the way you do it. You're bought into that. Your kids are bought into it and you're fine. If then you were saying, Mike, I'm going to pay you to consult me, well, then what do you think? Then I'd be like, Matt, I'm not a big fan of this. It's got to simplify. But my, yeah. but my first question I would ask though, Matt, is why are you doing this? Yeah. Not trying to question you where like, yeah, you're out of your mind. This will never work. Why? What are you trying to get accomplished with this and why are you doing it? And then if, if the answer was something that made sense, you said something um, about a minute ago that I live by. Does it make sense? Regardless of what it looks like, what it is, does it make sense? And I think that if you don't do that with a player or anything that you do and you can't explain why it makes sense, then we shouldn't be doing it. But if yeah. you're saying, Mike, we did this 19 cone drill because – I'm trying to like emulate what the defense is going to be like. I'll be like, okay, we can agree to disagree, yeah. but I get you there. And that makes sense. You should continue to do that with your player. And that's fine. We're never always going to agree on everything. Yeah. But I think if you hold it against somebody to a total disconnect from that, like 
be based on the fact that he doesn't or she doesn't do it like you do it, then what are you doing? Like, look, everyone's going to this thing. There's a million ways to do this thing. It's not just my way. My way is because I'm comfortable doing it. I've been doing it 28 years. I've been tweaking it and it's comfortable for me and I could teach it that way. I don't want to teach like you teach if I'm not comfortable doing it. I don't want you to teach the way I teach if you're not comfortable doing it because the player sees it like blood, like a shock. They're like blood in the water. They know, they know when you're not comfortable with this. Like, you know, it's like I'm sure, you know, at school, you see like when substitutes take over and they don't really have good presence with kids, they'll walk right over them because in two <laughs> seconds, they know that that person should not be in a classroom. Same thing. There's a difference between like a person that knows nothing about basketball, but they can sell it and the player could sense that they could sell it and believe it. The player's going to go with that person regardless of what they know and what they don't. There's a thousand trainers making a lot of money doing the same thing. Then you've got people that are really smart but, and, and know a lot about the game, but they don't have presence and they can't teach it. And the players see the weakness in that and they'll walk and steamroll right over them or they'll just tune them out because they know they have no presence. I call coaches like that bad Christmas. No presence at all. When you go under the, you go down the stairs, a kid goes down the stairs on Christmas morning, there's no presence under the tree. If you don't have presence as a coach, you're bad Christmas. You got no chance. So look, like I said, not every coach does it the same. You can't roll your eyes at a coach that does it differently than you. You know, I just think that if it works for them, it works for them. And you could always ask why, like you always yeah. have the, I, you know, I could always ask you, Matt, why are you doing this? And, and, you know, why are you doing this drill? And you explain it and I'll be like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Or, okay, we'll agree to disagree. I don't think it makes sense for me, but it makes sense for you. And yeah. your players are good and you guys win games. So what? But, who but am that, I to speak? Yeah, that, that question though, I think we, we constantly have to be asking ourselves because it doesn't make sense because it's really easy to – like you mentioned, even with the team that won the national championship, their offense has to be the way I have to do that. But does it make sense for the personnel and the school that you're at? Like for me no. to try to go VCU Havoc from years ago sure, <laughs> with, sure, with sure. the Faith Lions, this just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, no, but no. I think, you know, with skill work or the, the weight room, that again, going back to that coach, Lee Taft, that was mm -hmm. talking to me through weight room stuff. I just realized in that moment, same thing with talking with you. There's a lot of things that I might be doing that don't make sense. But just even asking that question, I think that's mm -hmm. what separates us maybe from others is that we're constantly learning, constantly growing, trying to get more efficient with what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. I think, look, you know, I, I love these coaches that get all offended when they ask you for your advice and you give it to them and they're like, Oh, well, you know, why are you doing this? I'm like, coach, you asked me for my opinion. <laughs> it's sort of like the person like me, like I'm overweight and I'll ask somebody, well, how'd you lose weight? And they'll be like, dude, exercise and eat less. And then if I, and then if I asked them from that help and they gave me that advice, you're like, Oh, you calling me fat now? This is ridiculous. Da, da, da. Dude. You asked me you for asked advice, me. I gave it to you, and I gave you the answers to the test, and now you're mad at me. What, what are we doing here? So it's the same thing, Matt. Look, do it the way you want to do it. If you want somebody's advice on how to get better, that's their advice the way they see it. Everybody has different life experiences. They see life different. They see the game different. They, the way they were taught, their mentors are different than your mentors, and that's just – 
then you see the game. That's why I always say, like, look, when I always speak at a clinic, I'll give you 10 things. If you could take one thing out of 10 or more, we're good. You don't have to take all 10 things. We're good. Like, I'm not yeah. going to I'm not going to be offended by it. I always wanted to be Rick Pitino and John Calipari when I was growing up, too, in coaching. But I knew that, like, I couldn't pull all of it off. I could pull a little bit of it off. But I can't do the things some of those guys can do. Yeah. So you got to find your own path and your own way to to sort of teach it and do it. But to me, I always like to just be start with the simple and then and then build up from there. And I think that's a I think that's a pretty good way to sort of approach it. All right, coach. The speed round. There's a lot of NBA players out there that know you, and a lot of coaches that have listened to you. But we will know you sure. better after the speed round. Short questions, quick answers. Ready? Sure. Favorite ice cream flavor. Oh, Oreo cookie. <laughs> For high school, shot clock or no shot clock? Shot clock, shot clock, shot clock. Yeah. Texting or talking? Talking. Favorite Depending holiday? Depending on who you're talking to. There talking. you go. That's the answer. That's the yeah. uh, uh, favorite holiday. Thanksgiving, fat guy holiday. <laughs> uh, invisibility you know or super strength? Oh, invisibility. I definitely want to see who the hell's talking, what they're saying behind my back, for sure. <laughs> Coach, your honesty is incredible. It's a, it's a transparent, man. I love it. Uh, if you could travel back in time, uh, what period would you go to? Uh, that's a good question. 1800s. Oh, I was going to say or Oregon Trail, yeah. right? You're Oregon Trail. You'll, Oregon. See you'll see me on the Oregon. You'll see me moonwalking <laughs> on the Oregon Trail. That game was actually real. Like, right? You remember the old game, yeah. Oregon Trail? Like, you, that yeah. show probably. Oh, I love is, that game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Apple IIe. I used to play The moment that somebody grade. got sick, you know, they're screwed. They're done. Oh, you're done. <laughs> you're done. You're done. Uh, uh, favorite childhood TV show? Star Blazers. I was a. Um, yeah, Star Blazers was a cartoon anime before anime was a thing. Star right. Blazers, two my more. favorite show. How many yeah, cups? Sure. Of, how many cups of coffee do you drink per day? I've never drank coffee in my life. Wow, no. I tried it one day. Energy, we, anything like that? Me and my boy that I used to play um, Dungeons and Dragons with when I was a kid, we would walk up to White Hen, which is like a convenience store, and we used to want to be adults. We were like nine at the time. We walked up. And we tried to get coffee and powdered donuts from this store. And just like alcohol, I don't drink. If it tasted like Diet Coke, I'd be an alcoholic. But the, the, the <laughs> beer tasted awful to me. Yeah. Same thing with coffee. It just, I can't get into it. Can't yeah. get into it. All right, last now, one. Back in the Go day, ahead. back in the day, seven or eight Diet Cokes a day. Back in the day. Easy. Yeah. 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 But you've gotten off that? Yeah, because my dentist, when I was in the deal, he said, your teeth are going to fall out and it's so bad for you wow. that you got to stop. And then I got off. I got off of it like that. Yeah. Uh, last one, probably most important, Godfather or Star Wars? You could say neither or both. No, 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 no. Both are high up, high up. My favorite movie of all time is Empire Strikes Back. Nice. Now, and, and also I told you, my dad's, my dad's, my it was the you ever see Black Mass the movie? Black, with Johnny Depp? What? Black Mass with no. Johnny Depp? No. About Whitey Bulger, you know who Whitey Bulger was? Mm -mm. Oh, great. I mean, if okay. you're into mob I'm a movies, movie guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you yeah. a mob guy? Uh, I mean, I, I I appreciate those movies. You know, personally I'm not so, a mob like yeah. Johnny Depp uh played this guy named Whitey Bulger. Whitey Bulger was the Irish mob boss in Boston. My dad was the electrician. Now, he, my dad was a regular electrician. He wasn't a mob dad. But he was the electrician to this guy named Jerry Angelo, who was a mob boss in Boston, Italian mob boss. So 
what happened was Whitey Bulger, and they were both, Whitey Bulger was a brutal dude, killed a million, you know, killed, uh, killed so many people. And, you know, like he was just a mob guy. So what happened was he buddied up with, he lived in South Boston. That's where all the Irish people lived in Boston. And the North End is where all the Italians lived in Boston. So this guy grew up with another guy who was an FBI, uh, worked for the FBI. So he ended up turning FBI informant, which basically this FBI guy allowed Whitey to do all he did in, in his mob. And what he would do was he would, he would rat on all the Italian mob guys to bust them. So the Italian mob guy was Jerry Angelo, and he was in the movie. And that was my dad, my my dad worked for a guy that I would say that Godfather should be it, but I'm a Star Wars guy. Nice. Empire Strikes Back. You can't get better than Empire Strikes Back with me. Hey, before we jump off, just real quick about uh if coaches want to get in touch with you, and then and sure. we talked a little bit about the services. I'm actually personally excited about uh I'm gonna I want to talk with you more um one-on-one about the yeah i gotta pay my mortgage matt matt i gotta pay my mortgage man you gotta help me out a little bit (laughs) i mean every coach in this area i should do a podcast with you on why high school coaches never answer emails oh never i i answer emails and text so you you are fine and i I don't generalize you're fine like i text you you text me back i've seen and again i've been out of captivity for six years with the nba stuff so I never really dealt with a lot of high school coaches and I always wanted to, but I just like, I never yeah. thought I would be like, I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to be an NBA coach. I do my training stuff and I'll talk to coaches whenever. But like when I got back, it always used to be like, you call a, co- a high school coach and they'll call you back. And it's been unbelievable to me. Like Cole Johnson was great to me. Cole's awesome. I love it. I love it. A legacy. Um, I spent some time in the off season with him, but like, he was like one of the only guys, you're right. one of the only guys, yeah. you know, like, and then the best thing is you reach out to a coach because I'll do a lot of stuff. Like I live in Plano. Yeah. So there's like Preston Wood, there's, you know, East Plano, West Plano. And then coaches are great at this, by the way. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is excellent. Blah, 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 blah. And then you never hear from Nothing. Them again. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, if you, were, if you were a snake oil salesman and I didn't, I wasn't really feeling what you were trying to sell me, <laughs> I'd be like, Matt, look. Probably not going to work out. I appreciate you coming and reaching out to me. Um, it's just not going to work out. Yeah. Thank you, but no thank you. And then that'll be good. Everything's good. Don't but tell me I it's great understand. and we need this, but you're not going to have <laughs> 10,000 people I've dealt with in this area. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like Chernobyl in this area, like with high school coaches, boys coaches, girls coaches, and like getting back to me and stuff. All hey, look, that I being understand. said – how can they reach out to you <laughs> <laughs> now after i after i called in chernobyl if you're outside the plano area um, you're great. you could always email me mike at hoopconsultants.com they could um you know i do a podcast with dave severance called caught in the net we do it every week i'm actually going to record in the next 45 minutes with him um and then i would not recommend if if you're a man of God, if you're a man of God, I would not recommend you listen to my podcast with Andrew Bogut. Um, we, we you know the Rogue Bogues podcast we do once a week. Do not, and this is why I lose it too because I am a lot. I've gone two hours without swearing one time. You did great. I I will not break. Well, look, you got you got this right yes. here in the back. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do, I do. But I can switch it on and off. Yeah. Um, 
but no, they could always email me, Mike at hoopconsultants.com, my website, hoopconsultants.com. I try to put some stuff. I'm not great at it, but I try to put some stuff on social media, uh, like, like NBA breakdown videos and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I do a ton of stuff for free. So it's not like, you know, yeah. you, you know, you got to pay to talk to me at all times. That's not, that's not the truth, but they could always reach out to me. I'm always willing to help and share. And um, obviously I'd like to do some business, especially with the, the film breakdown. Like I yeah. said, because all these high school coaches and, you know, everybody's, you know, I, I will generalize this. There's always one or two players that just don't get you and you don't get, and like, you need that other voice to be like, look, let me let this guy break down the game and t- and show and tell you what he sees and see if it's the same thing or not. And I think that that's a really good service. Also, again, the time constraint. You have this huddle account, but you don't have time to break down film for everybody. Yeah, you got to yeah. generalize it. You know. Man. So, yeah, Co- coach, outstanding. Thank you so much for your time, man. I this was incredible. No worries, coach and Matt. Anytime you need anything, just let me know. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.